0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. If you don't know me, my name is Matt, as Nicola has said. And I have the privilege of serving on the leadership team here at All Nations, here with my wife Kat today and our three small boys. And I've got my groovy biscuit with me. It's uh, a crunchy biscuit with a caramel layer. Can I have it? And maybe later, Jess. Um, And it's got some chocolate on there. And it's got some little things that are like small cousins of Smarties. I just thought you might like to meet my groovy bar. I'm going to put my groovy bar there. Okay. So we're continuing our preaching series today, looking at the characteristics of a godly family. And these are the characteristics that should really define us as individuals and as a church as well and the characteristic that we're looking at today is being a sacrificial family. We'll have a look at what that means and why it's important and we'll be looking at the story of Esther and to see what that can teach us about being sacrificial. Now the book of Esther is not for the faint-hearted I think if it was a film, it would probably be at least an 18. It's a story of a rich, powerful and fearsome king. It's a story of excess. It's a story of feasts, of assassination threats, of treachery and of revenge. It's a tale of harems and eunuchs. It's a tale filled with graphic violence, plots of genocide and of justice administered swiftly. And without mercy. And a central figure in the story is a young Hebrew woman called Esther. And she was willing to risk everything for the sake of those she loved. Now, the story unfolds during the reign of King Xerxes. And we should have a picture of King Xerxes there. Yeah. This is Xerxes the Great, and he lived between 519 and 465 BC. In 465, he was assassinated by his own bodyguard. As I say, this is a a bloodthirsty tale. And he was the king of the Medes and the Persians, and he had a massive empire. Chapters 1 to 3 of the Book of Esther tell us that Xerxes was in the market for a new queen, because the previous queen, Queen Vashti, had done done something which really had displeased the king, and she got banished. So the king's agents were sent far and wide across his kingdom to bring the most beautiful women they could find into the king's harem so that he could try and test and work out which one he wanted to be his new queen. And after some deliberation, he chose Esther. Now Esther's backstory is that her family was brought out of Jerusalem during the exile under King Nebuchadnezzar many years before. And when she was taken to the palace, She was made queen, and she kept her family background completely quiet. Nobody in the palace knew that she was actually a Jew. And to cut a long story short, after she was made queen, her cousin Mordecai did something to seriously upset the prime minister. Now, I know this is difficult to imagine. The prime minister was a terribly arrogant man. And he was so angry with Mordecai for not showing him enough respect. And in his anger, the prime minister, who was called Haman, had convinced the king that the whole Jewish people were a threat to his kingdom. And he convinced the king to make a decree that on one particular day, all the Jews would be killed. Men, women, children completely destroyed and in fact Haman was the first person in history to try and organize the complete destruction of the Jewish people and we know how that usually ends for people don't we we're going to pick up the story in chapter four and Kat's going to come and read to us we're reading from the new living translation today
1: okay morning everyone So Esther 4, I'm picking up from verse 4. No, sorry, verse 1, right from the beginning. (laughs) When Mordecai learned about all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on burlap or sackcloth and ashes and went out into the city, crying with a loud and bitter wail. He went as far as the gate of the palace, for no one was allowed to enter the palace gate while wearing clothes of mourning. And as news of the king's decree reached all the provinces, there was great mourning among the Jews. They fasted, wept, and wailed, and many people lay in burlap and ashes. When Queen Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was deeply distressed. She sent clothing to him to replace the burlap, but he refused it. Then Esther sent for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed as her attendant. She ordered him to go to Mordecai and find out what was troubling him and why he was in mourning. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the square in front of the palace gate. Mordecai told him the whole story including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai gave Hathach a copy of the decree issued in Susa that called for the death of all the Jews. He asked Hathach to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. He also asked Hathika to direct her to go to the king to beg for mercy and plead for her people. So Hathika returned to Esther with Mordecai's message. Then Esther told Hathika to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. So Hathaka gave Esther's message to Mordecai. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, Deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this? Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And though then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. (coughs) So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him.
0: Thank you. Let's pray, shall we? Father God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it's living. Thank you that you have so much to teach us to us today. And I pray that you'd give us ears to hear from you, Lord. And by your spirit, Lord, I pray that through your word we would be changed. Amen. So we heard in that passage that not surprisingly, Mordecai didn't take the king's decree well. And when Esther's maids and eunuchs noticed that Mordecai was so distraught, they brought the news to Esther. Esther was moved by the anguish of her cousin, so she asked him what was wrong. And when Mordecai tells Esther exactly what is in store for their family and every other Jew in the kingdom, he asks Esther to plead with the king on behalf of their people. But that's a high-risk strategy, as we've heard. Esther knows that anyone going into the king's inner court could be killed unless the king shows his favor and his approval by holding out his golden scepter. And Esther is clearly feeling more than a little bit nervous, because it's been over a month since she was called into the king's presence. So she doesn't know whether she's in the king's good books or not. And it's when Esther's deliberating whether it's a wise move or not to go and see the king that Mordecai sends her a message A message that's challenging and encouraging in equal measure. In verse 14, Mordecai challenges Esther by saying that as a Jew, she shouldn't expect to be spared the massacre. And he then encourages her by asking, who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. And that is the key verse in the whole book of Esther. And this reminder is all Esther needs to resolve to make a difference. Even though doing so risks putting her in harm's way, in a very real way. Now, before going into the king's presence, Esther has one thing to ask of her family. She asks all the Jews in the city to fast and presumably to pray, although the text doesn't say that. For three days, neither they nor Esther or her maids ate or drank anything. And only then did she take the long walk into the king's presence. If you don't know the rest of the story of Esther, I urge you to read it. It's an amazing account of courage, an account of God's faithfulness and his protection and his provision. Esther put her own interests and her own safety on the line for the benefit of others. For no other reason than she knew it was the right thing to do. So before we leave Esther today, let's have a think about what her willingness to live sacrificially can teach us today. You see, God may not be asking you to prevent a genocide, but He definitely has tasks for you to do. And just like Esther, those tasks, are uniquely for you you are uniquely placed to carry out the good works that he has for you as we read in Ephesians 2 verse 10 for we are God's masterpiece he created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago now there's a massive need in our family in our town across our world we can see the need there are physical needs there are those without the basics that they need to survive there are emotional needs i don't need to tell you that our culture puts an amazing amount of pressure on people to be a certain way and that can leave people feeling isolated and anxious and inadequate of course there are spiritual needs our friends, our family, our neighbours, those who don't need Jesus desperately need to be introduced to him. And we all have a role in encouraging and building those within the church too. Now we don't get to do these good things to get into God's good books, do we? That's the amazing truth of grace. But we do get to do them because it's the overflow of the love that he has for us. So yes, you're uniquely placed to carry out good works wherever God has placed you. And although God may not be asking you to stop a genocide, meeting what might seem as a really small need can have a huge impact for someone and can have a huge impact in God's kingdom as well. But there's an uncomfortable truth, isn't there? That's that it's not always convenient to do the right thing. There are always reasons or excuses for getting for not getting involved. I have to say, there is one particular place in town where we often park our car, and there are certain things that we need to do in town when we park there, which often means that we go past a lot of people who are homeless on the way. And like a lot of people here, I'm sure, and a lot of people across our town, we like to stop and chat to people who are homeless to let them know that they're valued, to see when they last ate, and to offer to get them some food. It's just important that everybody knows they're valued by God, isn't it? Now that's a really simple and easy thing to do but I'm sorry to say that depending on how much of a rush we're in and what we've got to do, it doesn't always seem like a convenient thing. In fact, I remember a conversation the other day when Kat and I were discussing what we needed to do, how busy we were and where we needed to go and where we were going to park as we were planning this trip and one of us I'm not going to tell you which of us said although I can tell you under good authority the other person was thinking it I'm not sure we've got time to park there the implication is we knew that parking there would take a lot more time because it was going to be less convenient for us because we would do a lot of stopping If we're honest, I think we always have those thoughts from time to time. Because doing the right thing does cost us, doesn't it? Costs us maybe our time, maybe our money. Sometimes it costs us our comfort as we make ourselves vulnerable to others. Sometimes doing the right thing might even cost our reputation, or at least that's sometimes the way we think about it if we think about stopping and praying for somebody, we think, how will I look if God doesn't deliver for this person? So it's important that we learn from Esther's sacrifice and think about how this story applies to us and maybe even challenge our way of thinking. The first thing I'd like us to think about is that it was Esther's maids and eunuchs who noticed that Mordecai had been hanging around town wailing. Okay? Esther didn't notice this herself. Now, that was probably because Esther led a very confined existence in the king's harem. And she probably had very little contact with her family or with the outside world. Now, I'm not imagining that Esther had a pleasant life. It was one of servitude and essentially slavery. And because of her seclusion, she was completely ignorant of the king's decree and of the plight of her people and even of the needs of those closest to her. How often are we ignorant of the plight of those around us? Or even desensitized to it? You see, noticing the need is the first step to living sacrificially. If we don't notice the need, we can't make sacrifice to meet it. I don't know about you, but I'm really good at ignoring needs when it suits me. Let's not be the people who are too busy to pitch in and help. It was interesting Nicola mentioned about the tea and coffee rota. This isn't a guilt trip, by the way. Um, but I noticed that sign last week um, when we were all here together, and I thought, well, maybe that needs, means they need people today. Um, but I didn't step up and say I can do that. Um, and I suspect that a lot of us have been in that situation as well, where. Sometimes even when we notice a need, it's a difficult thing to pitch in and help. And I think one of the reasons for that is, this is a really individualist society, isn't it? In the world, we're taught to look out for number one. So I just want to encourage us. Let's not barricade ourselves away in our homes with the front doors closed and the TV turned up. Drowning out everything else so that we stop noticing the needs around us. So that we stop noticing how broken our world really is. Let's not spend so much time building our career or growing our business that we miss out on why God has put us here in the first place. Those aren't necessarily bad things, but we need to get them in perspective. You see, God set an amazing sequence of events into motion, even years before Esther was born, which eventually led to her being made queen. And she was made queen for a reason. Now, you may not be a queen. In fact, I'm probably pretty sure that you're not a queen, but you've been placed in your street, in your workplace, in your family, and amongst your friends for a reason. Now, Jonathan Lampard challenged us really helpfully last week to be aware that as spirit filled Christians, we take the Holy Spirit with us wherever we go, and that we need to live in the good and in the power of that. And that is so true. Many of us are so good, myself included, at compartmentalizing our time. This is my time for God. This is my time for rest and relaxation. This is my family time. This is my work time. We even do that with our money, don't we? This is the money that I'm going to give to God, and this is the rest which is for me. I have to say that that is looking at life all wrong. We live for God, and we need to keep in step with him every minute of every hour, of every day. And when we do that, we shift our gaze from our preferences, from our desires, from our comfort, and we start to focus on what's important to him. Now, the other morning, I had some really solid plans about what I wanted to do and how I was going to about do it, go about doing it. The plans I made and the schedule that I'd put in place were completely destroyed because I noticed two needs. Both of these needs were people that I work with, who I'm well aware are going through really difficult times at the moment, either because of their health or the health of somebody in their family. And I just knew that I needed to check up on them and to see whether they were okay. I was able to show both these people people who are beloved of God and who desperately need him, that they're valuable and to offer them some help. Now, I could have so easily focused on what I needed to get done that morning and only on that, but instead, God showed me that these people needed my attention. Now, I know I'm laboring this point, but it's important. God has put you, 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 where he wants you. You're uniquely placed to do good amongst the people and situations that you find yourself in. And to paraphrase the book of Esther, who can say but that you've been placed in your street, in your workplace, in your family, or amongst your friends for such a time as this? We just need to lift our eyes and notice those needs. Now, there's a spoiler alert. I need to tell you that Esther's gamble paid off. Her intervention saved the Jewish citizens of Xerxes' empire. So although it might not be your life on the line, where we notice that need, we need to be prepared to meet it, no matter what it's going to cost us. Why? Because it's what Jesus did, and we're called to be like Jesus. God noticed that we were lost and helpless, that we were unable to come to him because of our sin. He acted by sending his son Jesus, who put aside his own concerns, put aside his own well-being and his own comfort and his own preference for the sake of those he loved. Our God loves us with a sacrificial love and we should love one another and those in our community with that same sacrificial love. How is God asking you to live sacrificially at the moment? I think for me, at the moment, he's talking to me a lot about my time and challenging me about my attitudes towards my time and my comfort. And I assure you that God is also asking you to live sacrificially as well. And you need to know that it's pointless that we try and do this on our own. We need his spirit, and we need each other. Just like Esther called her family to support her by fasting and probably praying, we need to reach out to one another, lift one another up and ask for help. I think it's important for us to remember that God doesn't ask us to live sacrificially because he wants us to have a really miserable, uncomfortable and put upon life. Isn't that a great picture? RIP, grumpy cat. In John 10.10, Jesus reminds us that his purpose is to give us a rich and satisfying life. And actually, living sacrificially is part of that rich and satisfying life. God doesn't ask us to live a sacrificial life begrudgingly either. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us that God loves it when we give cheerfully. And I don't think that just applies to our money. Once you start to live sacrificially, you'll be amazed to find that you're not just being a blessing, but you're being blessed too. Now, we don't live sacrificially as a you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours deal with God. That's a twisted and very dangerous view of what the Bible says. But the amazing economics of God's kingdom is that when we do put ourselves out there and when we do live sacrificially, we reap benefits too. Remember, everything good that we have is a gift from God. Our time, our money, our work, our families, even our lives. And God has given us these things to enjoy. He wants us to enjoy them. But he doesn't want us to put them above him. And they're all, without exception, temporary. And a pale imitation of the greatness of him. And the amazing prospect of not just spending eternity with him, but getting to be on an amazing journey with him now. And living in the good of everything he has for us, here and now what I'm saying is what might seem like a sacrifice through the eyes of the world is not a sacrifice when we view it through the eyes of faith let's face it this groovy biscuit isn't all that satisfying is it and I have to say the internet is full of tales of people who are dissatisfied with their groovy biscuits I've pulled out three pictures here. I'm just hoping that when I open this, it doesn't look like that. If somebody asked me to sacrifice my groovy biscuit for a wonderful three-course meal or an amazing banquet, does that sound like a sacrifice to you? No. It's not a sacrifice, is it? I'd be a fool to refuse to give up this groovy biscuit for that. Did you think you'd hear me say groovy biscuit as many times today? Sacrificing things of this world for God's purposes isn't really a sacrifice. It's an amazingly, unbelievably good deal to give up something that's temporary and ultimately won't give us any fulfillment, I'm sorry, Jess, (laughs) for the amazing adventure of having an impact that echoes through eternity. That's not a sacrifice at all, is it? Remember when Mordecai told Esther that if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. God could have chosen any way to save his people, and he could have used anyone. The simple truth is that God doesn't actually need our help. But he chooses our help. He allows us the excitement, the adventure and the fulfillment of helping. Even if that's just serving tea and coffee and blessing people in that way. And there's no greater fulfillment than knowing you're listening to God and following his purposes for your life. Now, learning how to be a sacrificial people is at the heart of revival. If we really want to see the church rise and become everything that God wants her to be, if we want the church to be good news to the poor, to reach the lost, and to live fully in the power of his Spirit, it will cost us. And only when we're willing to put aside our own interests our own concerns, our own fears, our own groovy biscuits, can we truly fulfill our potential to love as Jesus loved? And only when we take our eyes off our own situation, when we notice the need and have our hearts broken for those in need, have our hearts broken to reach out In the power of his spirit, can we really be the church that he's called us to be? Can I invite the band up, please? Put your groovy biscuit down, Jess. (laughs) If you're able to, can I ask you to stand, please? There are some messages that, as a preacher, when you're preparing them, you feel challenged by, and you know it needs a response from you. Probably that's every message that I prepare. There are messages that you prepare as a preacher when you know it demands a response from us as a church, and that actually there's something really significant for us to get hold of here as a church. Because who knows, if perhaps you were placed in your street, in your workplace, in your family, amongst your friends, for such a time as this. And I think it's important that we stop and we think about whether we really are living sacrificially. And if not, what is stopping us from living sacrificially? Is it even noticing the need? Is it just walking past that person or that sign asking for help? We need to pray to break complacency. Is it being courageous and stepping up to meet the need? Are we just too fearful? Well, we need to pray for boldness. So can I ask you just to lift your hands out to him now. Holy Spirit, we just thank you that you are our best friend. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are constantly moving us on in our relationship with you. Constantly encouraging and challenging us in equal measure. And Lord, as a church, I pray that all nations would be known as a sacrificial family. A family that puts the needs of others ahead of its own. A family that puts your agenda ahead of its own. And Lord, that's only possible if that's true of us as individuals. So, Lord, where we've just stopped noticing, where we've become selfish or complacent, Lord, I pray you would break us. Lord, where we lack courage, give us your boldness, I pray. Lord, may we be aware of your guiding and of your power so that we can notice and meet the needs that are before us. Lord, I pray that you would use your word and the story of Esther to stir us to live sacrificially, that you would stir us to revive your church, to be all she was planned to be. in your name Amen we're going to worship now and I just want to encourage any of you that feel that you need to respond to this word to come to the front whether it's noticing the need whether it's being courageous and stepping up to meet the need because I'd love to pray for you I'll certainly be down at the front I I need that too And we're just going to pray that the Holy Spirit would break in and break us to notice the need and would just fill us so full of courage that we can't help but step out and meet those needs and let go of our groovy biscuits.